0: is change this around a little bit I'm going to get right into the Bible I am teaching my most uninspired message of the year (laughs) doesn't sound exciting this will be the least exciting of all the messages you'll hear from me this year because I'm planning on uh, hurting some feelings Stepping on some toes, walking on thin ice, putting myself in a dangerous and precarious position, all of which there may be a recall on my vote as pastor 23 years ago. <laughs> I'm just joking about all that. You're going to love this. let stand, would you? <laughs> You're just going to love what I have to say today. Praise God. Let's lift our hands and worship the Lord. If you are good in the Lord, oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah,
1: hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. hallelujah. Praise,
0: the the Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy 6 and then to Psalm 34. Deuteronomy 6. Actually, we're going to start reading in chapter 5 the last verse well I do appreciate so very much how the Bible has been canonized that is put together in scriptures uh, numbered and such in the original uh, language this was not true and uh, so as a result the people who were responsible for putting the Bible together uh, these people put uh, verses and chapters and such now The thing, however, about this is that some people create a particular mindset thinking that a a subject change or or a, a particular portion or chapter of the Bible starts here and while it is related to the other chapter that it is related only as one chapter of a book relates to the other. Now, Because of this, sometimes you miss out on uh, some of the real messages that the Scripture has to offer. So for this reason, I explain this, and I think that you need to, when you're reading your Bible and you run across a Scripture that really has a deep meaning as it applies to your own life, and that is determined by the particular crises, circumstance, environment, or whatever you are, are in, uh, that you need to read the surrounding scriptures, sometimes even back up all the way out of the chapter into the other chapter. So, verse thirty-three goes hand in hand with verse number one of, of Deuteronomy six. Verse thirty-three of Deuteronomy five, ye shall walk in all the ways of the Lord which your God hath commanded you, that ye may live, and that it may be well with you, and that you may and that ye may prolong your days in the land which ye shall possess. The first commandment with promise is to honor your father and mother that all may go well with thee and that your days may be long on the earth. Now some people miss part of that because they, they look at longevity as, as the primary factor in that. But Jesus is not talking about the quantity or the amount of living. He also talks about the quality of your living that all may go well with thee. Uh, God is not just interested in how long you live, but how well you live. All right? Now, verse 6. Now, these are the commandments, the statutes and the judgments, which the Lord uh, your God commanded you to teach, that you might do them in the land whether you go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God and keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, Thou and thy son, thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy house may be prolonged. Thy days, pardon me, may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mildly, as the Lord God of our fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Now go to Psalm 34, and we want to read one verse there from Psalm 34. Psalm 34, verse 11. Come, you children, hearken to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. All right, you may be seated. You will find, scattered throughout the uh, pages of prophecy about the minor and major prophets, and also some of the historical books of the Bible, you will find various periods of time in which Israel did not fear God and recently I have talked with uh, quite a few parents about uh, the fear of the Lord now because of this I, I put this message together this is a message really I would have liked to have preached tonight or perhaps on a Thursday night but after praying in depth about this I chose to preach this uh, this morning because I felt a directive of God to do this. God. Now, it's not normally what I preach on Sunday morning. It's not normally what I instruct our ministers to preach. Now, I don't tell them what to preach, but but uh, we try, because we have a lot of guests on Sunday morning, we try to be fairly evangelistic in our preaching on Sunday morning. That's our basic philosophy. This is going to kind of cut the grain from that. Uh one parent recently in this church came and posed this question. I have children that obviously do not fear God. Where do I start? That's a big question, isn't it? And the reason why, because I have people that I pastor who do not fear God. And where do I start? In other words, you just can't tell a person to fear God. Right. You know, it's like the Bible says, He that hungers and thirsts after righteousness shall be filled. But you just can't tell a person praying at the altar, you know, you need a real desire for God. Now, you may tell them that, but but here this person is, how do I get that desire? You follow what I'm saying? Right. So, if you were to be given the assignment to teach a group of people that are non-God-fearing how they should fear the Lord, where would you start? It's quite a question, isn't it? And perhaps it's one that you've never thought about. I've thought about it a lot, and I've preached a lot about the fear of the Lord, and it, it appears to me that everything that I have tried, quite frankly... Everything that I've tried on people who seemingly have no respect for God, and by fear, we're talking about not being afraid of God. We're not talking about that. But we're talking about respecting God and trusting God enough that they will do what God wants them to do. You see, that's the basic fear of the Lord that's taught in the Scripture. Where do you start? Now, what I want to do is start on this subject. Setting the stage. Oh, by the way, the name of this message, and this will give you an idea of the conclusion that I draw. Now, I'm giving this on the tape, man. You put it on. I'm teaching today on the subject discipline and the fear of God. Discipline and the fear of God. Now, as you know, we talked about the person that is praying for the Holy Ghost and we say that you need to hunger or thirst after God. In other words, you need to have a real desire. He that hungereth and thirsteth after God after righteousness shall be filled. One person can be praying for the Holy Ghost for a long time and, and never receive it while one person walks in off the street they don't know anything about the Holy Ghost. They know nothing about speaking with tongues. They know nothing about praying at the altar. They never heard apostolic sing and apostolic worship. They never heard an apostolic preacher the preacher preaches, they come down to the altar within a matter of moments they receive the baptism of yeah. the Holy Ghost. We've recently had some people that the very first trip to this church, their very first trip down to the altar, within a matter of minutes they have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And you can always look at these people and tell if they're going to receive the Holy Ghost because the, you, you can tell by the by the intense desire.
1: That they
0: have. Yeah. Well... Because of this little situation that uh, was posed to me about the hungering after God, you know, I went on into an in-depth study about this, because I've had people say, well, I just don't desire to do this, right? And and I found out that in true repentance, that a hunger for God is created. So if you fully repent, uh, you know, uh, and, and one of the fruits of repentance is a desire. What Paul said in 2 Corinthians 7, what vehement desire? In other words, a red-hot desire for God is created when we repent. So, if you want someone to receive the Holy Ghost, there, there must be the proper climate for that. The proper stage for that. And of course, people who attend our assembly that need to repent of their sins, they automatically should walk into a climate of humility and submission to God and to each other. And the reason why is because by scripture, you know by definition, you might be able to to differentiate between but between repentance and submission and discipline and such. But but in the context of the scripture you cannot. In other words, can, can a man repent and, and be proud so, humility and repentance go hand in hand. In other words, you can't separate them. See? And, and, and by the way, there are no humble devils, you know. You follow what I'm saying? So when people come into the assembly, if you, where we're worshiping, if, if these people are to fully repent, the best thing for us to do is to create a climate in which it's easy for them to repent. How do we do that? We simply do that by submitting ourselves to God, by humbling ourselves before God. Because if there's a display of human abilities and talents to the point in which God is put in the background, guess what's going to happen? You come to be entertained, but God does not work through you. Consequently, people do not repent. So in any church that I go to in which the pastor or the church is saying we just seem to can't get people to the altar, I say well, you need to start out first by going yourself. Right, and make sure it's not just a trip to the altar, but the purpose in going to the altar. In other words, when you get down there, humble yourself, submit yourself to God. So we set the stage for this. Well, you will find that, that uh, you know, decisions that come out of a lot of thought, quite often the content of that decision is determined by the climate the person is in. You know, if you were trying to determine whether you should not see pornographic movies or not, probably the best place not to determine that is when you're watching one. The time to determine that is maybe when... When the preacher's preaching, or the word of the Lord's being preached, or when you're in an atmosphere that's conducive to making decisions against immorality,
1: right. Right.
0: So, young people who tend to get a little bit close, they should never try to determine whether their their behavior, their physical behavior, is correct when they're but when they're so closely uh, together in in physical intimacy, because you will not come up with the correct decision. Because that decision will be based totally upon how you feel. Consequently, the, the the world, you know, you know, how can something be so wrong if it feels so good? And and that type of thinking comes out of a climate or an environment that's not conducive to making that kind of decision. So, <clears throat> what we want to do today, we first want to just kind of set the stage in which we can determine exactly where we're going with this subject and why this is so important. Proverbs 1, verse 7. If you will turn there, this is going to be Bible study pretty much all the way. Proverbs 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. My son, hear the instruction of thy father, forsake not the law of thy mother. Now, what I'd like you to do is go to Job 28, verse 28. Job 28, 28. And this is what we, we find, okay? And unto man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord is... That is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. All right? Now, we go to Psalm 111. Psalm 111. And we read verse 10. Some of these scriptures seem to be quite... Uh, redundant in other words they're saying the same thing the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom a good understanding have all they that do his commandments his praise endureth forever praise ye the Lord blessed is the man that feareth the Lord that delighteth greatly in his commandments now I think that you're seeing as I'm putting this together a correlation between obedience And the fear of the Lord. Are you seeing that? And then of course we have the word wisdom and we have the word understanding which in the Old Testament are interchangeable many times in the cases in which I've read they are. And then of course the word knowledge also appears. Now basically a man is converted like this. He gains knowledge that changes his attitude that changes his action. That's how a person is converted. That's exactly how a person grows in God they gain knowledge that changes their attitude, that changes their action. For this reason, you've heard me make this statement many, many more times than, 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 than probably what you appreciate. That is that you cannot separate character from conduct. Character is what you are. What you are determines what you do. Now, Proverbs 9, verse 11 Verse 10, pardon me. Proverbs 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy is understanding. For by me thy days shall be multiplied, and thy years of thy life shall be increased. If thou be wise, thou shalt be wise for thyself. But if thou scornest, thou alone shall bear it. Now, okay. Now, we find the word wisdom is used quite a bit. Wisdom is the ability to use knowledge. While wisdom and knowledge and understanding in, in, in the Old Testament are interchangeable, basically, uh, you know, in the New Testament we have a word of knowledge, we have a, a word of wisdom. Those are spiritual gifts found in 1 Corinthians 12. Now, uh, knowledge is, is, is receiving information. Basically, it's knowing. Wisdom is the ability to use that knowledge. And the link between the wisdom and the knowledge is understanding. In other words, an understanding of the subject matter, an understanding of what's required, an understanding that changes your attitude. See, I use use knowledge, attitude, and action. In the Old Testament, you will find it was knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. But I use it because... Uh, because it is vernacular that we readily understand and accept. Now, in the book of James, uh, James talks about, about wisdom. Uh, I have told parents and various pastors that I've talked to throughout our fellowship that uh, you know, if you're having problems with people in the fear of the Lord, you need to just pray that God would give you wisdom to help them or to instruct them. Now you see, as a pastor, if everything, I, if everything that comes across the pulpit is negative, you can only have a negative relationship with a person for so long until that relationship gets solid. Right. You follow what I'm saying? In other words, with your children, if it's always, don't do this, don't do that, no, you can't do this. I said shut up, now go over it sit down. In other words, if everything's like this, you know what's going to happen? Yeah. After a while, your relationship with that child will be sour. So you have to put some positive things in. Now, I know that when things go bad, that's a little bit difficult. But nevertheless, that's just the way that it is. All right? Now, you need to pray for wisdom. All right? In James 1, uh, verse 5, the Bible says, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask God that giveth unto all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given to him. So if, if you need wisdom in 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 any particular area of your living, whether it's you know with your wife, with your children, with your employer, with your in laws, with your outlaws, with your <laughs> hey, with your parents, uh, your family, you need to pray for wisdom. However, I have read some scriptures about wisdom. So if you really want to maximize on your prayer for wisdom, that it would only seem to me like that it's proper to set the right stage for wisdom. And of course the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, if you are praying for wisdom to help your children, if you're praying for wisdom somehow in dealing with your uh, employer or employees, whichever one it might be, if you're praying for wisdom, if you want, if you want to maximize, or maybe I should say, if you want to receive that wisdom as quickly as you possibly can, in other words, if you want to, if you want to, to grow in, 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 in this area, the best thing to do is to set the right climate. I'm, I'm just really amazed. I have a, I have a few uh, Angus cattle. Not many, but a few. It's kind of a little hobby that Sister Grant and I have. And uh, so we, we got these, these, these gals. Well, from the Angus Association, that's headquarters in, in St. Joseph, Missouri, uh, we get this, this Angus journal every month. And, and I'm, I'm amazed at how they constantly upgrade the, the amount of growth per day. They have daily gain records. Uh, they're constantly breaking these. Now, I have not been in this business very long, but since Brother Moran interested me in this, uh, about four or five years ago, I noticed that if you had an Angus bull cap on test that would gain three pounds per day, I mean, you had one that was a superb, a superb individual. Now, I just received one. I picked it up late last night. I went in the living room to pray, still had the light on before I turned the light off, and... And here was this Angus journal. I just picked it up and I was just thumbing through it to see what's in there. And I ran across something that was very, very interesting. Now, it didn't cut into my prayer life that much. <laughs> but here is an Angus bull that on test gained 6.71 pounds per day. And, and what I did, I got to looking at it. You now, you, you, you think about that. Six, six and three-quarter pounds. Almost six and three-quarter six and eleven-sixteenths pound to be exact. Now, now when you, when you think about that, I mean, that, that's tremendous growth. So if, if you have, let's say if you put this, a bull, and, and, and you put him in a pen, and you're feeding him off, uh, if, if the expected progeny, growth rate, is this, in other words, from this bull, a couple with uh, a cow that has a good EPD uh, in this area, that that you should have an animal that's really going to grow, you know. That's a, when you're buying steak, you think of all this stuff, you know.
1: <laughs> because
0: the quicker the growth, quite frankly, the, it, it's very tender.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so you, you say, well, uh, the father of this calf had a 6.71 EPD growth rate, and uh, that's his, his, his progeny expected to, to, if he's bred to a cow uh, who had the same growth rate. Now, what, what do you say? So I go out and I buy this little calf and I put it in this pen. I feed it, feed it, feed it, feed it. I feed it a year from now, and I take it to scales and the thing weighs 300 pounds. Now, this is what Christians seem to have a tendency to do. Now, you listen to me, there's a lesson in this. So how come my calf didn't grow? So I go back to the manual and I looked and I found out that this one's father, and, and sure enough, I'm giving the correct stats on this. This one's father weighed 900 and something pounds at 208 days when he was weaned and weighed, weighed 1,595 pounds when he was one year old. I said, What happened to mine? <laughs> well, obviously, it, it, it's really not in the breeding. And sometimes you will get a a mutation, you know, kind of a throwback to, to something else, but, but everything being normal, I mean, you'd say, it's not in the breeding, and and then you get to thinking, well, maybe I should go talk with something, someone. So you go down the road to a farmer down the road, and you tell him, and, and he says, oh, I've got sons and daughters with the same bull, and you take them in, he takes you in there, and you see all these big, huge honkers walking around there, <laughs> and they're ready to go to the market. You say, what happened to mine? First thing the old farmer is going to do is going to scratch his head and say, uh, what have you been feeding? Yeah. That, that's No, oh, well, I just. I don't know. Had some leftover potato chips? <laughs> Did he eat them? Well, he looked around on me like salt. In other words, you've got to put the right thing in if you expect the right results. Now, there may be exceptions to the rule in which you can put the best things in and maybe not get the best results, okay? Now, notice what James says. If any man lacketh wisdom, let him ask of God. So, environment and diet is also very important. Here, this farmer keeps his, keeps his steers or the bull calves and the heifer calves. He keeps them in a good environment, a good clean environment. They don't eat off the ground in which they pick up Worms, eggs, and such. He keeps minerals there, fresh water, all the things that he needs. But you, you just put yours out in a little middle. No shelter when it rains. It's all bogged down. Take some potato chips out there and throw out there. What? Well, potato chips. Take like Fritos. They're corn, corn chips. The cows love of Corn. Now, we are we were all laughing about this, but Sister Grant and I know we saw a farmer that was wondering why his cows wouldn't eat potato chips. He really wasn't a farmer. He he thought he was. He was he was giving it a truck. It didn't work. So, environment and, and, and diet and climate, you know, there's a lot involved in this. So, you know, if, if you're just praying for wisdom, and you know what, you can just feel say, oh, God, just give me wisdom, Lord, give me wisdom, give me wisdom. Or you might get a little bit of wisdom, But will you get what you need to accomplish? In other words, would you like to maximize on this? Well, the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, the best thing to do is in your own heart, when you are praying for wisdom for others, is there a willingness on your part to search this subject out for yourself And find out what kind of a habitat, what kind of an environment can I create for myself? Well, first, we have to know what wisdom is. Alright, let's just... I'm just turning over the book of James and we'll just read a little bit about wisdom. James 3. Let's start reading with verse... uh, uh, Verse 13. Who is a wise man? And endued with knowledge among you. Let him show out of a good conversation his work with meekness of wisdom. In other words, who is a wise man? All right, we're talking about wisdom now. The Bible says let him show a good conversation. Conversation here means behavior, by the way. But if you have bitter envy and strife in your heart, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. You can read all the psychology books you want to read. You can get your master's degree or your Ph.D. in psychology and never have the wisdom that you need to accomplish This monumental task of instilling the fear of God in your children. Verse 15. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envy and strife is, there is confusion and ever evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy, and good fruits without partiality, without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Now, basically, what are you saying, Brother Grant? I'm simply saying that first we need to find out what wisdom is. Wisdom is not outwitting your opponent, that's not what it is. That's not what wisdom is. Sometimes, you know, you, you, a person kind of develops a little bit of a pride because they become good debaters. In other words, they never lose an argument. You follow what I'm saying? Now, you notice this, though, the wisdom that comes from above is, is what? Let's uh, let's go back there and let's just look at it. It says, and easy to be entreated. you know what that means? It means it is easy for you to... To make petitions to God. It's easy to make a request. So, that kind of diametrically opposes the legalistic mind. And some people feel because they are legalistic minded and they know how to win all the arguments, that is wisdom. Not true. Now, where do we start, alright? Now, said all that to say this, that if I had the monumental job of teaching, full-time teaching America how to fear God, and if I had the support that I needed to do this, I would start out by teaching people how To respect their fellow man. Now, let me just first give you three aspects that I have come up with in teaching the fear of the Lord. Number one is discipline. There has to be personal discipline. Number two, there has to be a code of ethics. Personal discipline for self. A code of ethics between myself and my fellow man. And then there must be proper etiquette. You never thought I'd be talk, talking about things like this, would you?
1: Not that.
0: Etiquette's not just table manners, right. but it's accepted manners of a society that relates to the finer points of life. Now, let me just, let me back up now, and let's talk about this, all right? You cannot separate the fear of God that when I say that the respect of God from the fear of man. Respect for man. Now, the reason why I say that is because, you see, I'm teaching respect not from a, oh, a, a standpoint of oh, I'm afraid to do something wrong because I'm afraid God's going to strike me down dead. No, it's I trust God and respect God enough that I will not do this. Now the other aspect of fear must be incorporated there where there is discipline it always has to be there. In other words I did many times what my mom and dad told me to do because I knew that if I didn't that I would be the loser. I mean I always felt that God gave my mother a big big body (laughs) bigger than mine to take care of me. I'd probably be in prison today but not the case. Now can, when we say respect of, of God and respect of man fear of God, fear of man just as you cannot separate the love of God from the love for your brother, neither can you separate this business of fear now, the Bible teaches us that if we say we love God and we hate our brother, we're just lying. I mean, the Bible uses the term here: "You're just a liar." If you say you do that, how can you love your brother or God, rather, that you have not seen, and at the same time hate someone? Who was made in the image and the likeness of the God that you love, that you rub shoulders with every day? That's a line of logic. Now, you will notice also in all the scriptures that I read about wisdom, knowledge, understanding, and the fear of God, it's always connected in some way with discipline. And by discipline, I simply mean self control. And of course, that gives us the ability to fulfill our obedient role to the commandments of God. In Romans 1, you will find that there is a society of believers that turn out to be unbelievers, and they did very vile and horrible things. In Romans one twenty one, and because they, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God; neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise. They became fools. Now, let me just point out something that that this is going to go across the grain with some of you. You see, we live in a democratic country. By that I mean, we elect our officials. We don't like them, we kick them out of office. And so we love freedom. And because we love freedom, we have what we call individual rights. Now, this is what's going to go across the grain. Just because the United States of America gives you the right to do something, does not mean that it's right to do it. All right. That's good. All
1: right.
0: And you see, that's the problem we have. Sometimes we think, because society gives us the right to do something, it must be alright to do it. Well, you may not be penalized in the court of law, but there is a higher court that has the final say. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! You follow what I'm saying now? Huh? Yeah. So you can spend all of your lifetime fighting for your individual rights and win in every case and still be classified according to scripture as a fool because you acted unwisely and this is what happened here they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image like to corruptible man and birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in which God gave up on them through the lust of their own bodies to dishonor their own bodies between themselves to change the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections or even did their women or even their women did change their natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their heart Burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men. I talk about homosexuality. Right. Oh, yes, you heard me right. I said, it's talking about homosexuality. Right. Now, America may give you the right to be a homosexual, but that doesn't mean it's right to be one.
1: Right.
0: I mean, it's scripture. And let me tell you something churches who are ordaining lesbians and homosexualities in the ministry are wrong. Period and I would not spend my time going to a church and fellowshiping and listening to a preacher that couldn't stick to the unadulterated Word of God.
1: You may have a right, but that doesn't make you right. right.
0: And see, the whole problem with this business of perversion, it leads to this a lack of self-control. In other words, how can it be so wrong if it feels so good? I can search the pages of history. As mighty as the Roman Empire was, it fell simply because of a personal discipline among the citizens of the country. Now, we we'll go into, into chapter 2, verse 14. I just might read some scriptures here. And when the Gentiles, which have not the law of God, do by nature the things contained in the law, somebody's going to have to help you out. Somebody has to come bail you out. You may say, Brother Grant, are you you unsympathetic? you think we ought to bail them out? I did not say that. I'm simply saying that I think nation survives that we're going to have to get a hold of ourselves and start exercising some personal discipline. That's what I'm saying. Now you notice in Romans 3, verse 23, the Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It is prefaced, however, by this scripture in verse 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. You know what I want? going will be able to finish this. If I don't finish this this morning, how many of you come back tonight to hear me finish this? Come on, even our guests. You need to hear this. Really. really. All right. so we're going to be talking about something that's very, very important. Okay. So the first aspect of teaching the fear of God is personal discipline or control. This is the reason why the Romans 12 and 1 makes a whole lot of sense in, in the context of this. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be it transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Hallelujah. You know the reason why we have fasting every every week? Well, we have fasting simply because in prayer because there are needs. But fasting above all things that we're involved in, helps us in the area of personal control or discipline. We need that. And a person who does not have personal discipline has difficulties living for God. Now, I'll jump the gun a little bit and I'll repeat it again tonight when all the kids are here if I go into this, okay? Listen to this very carefully. You remember the old days when you went to school? You remember that? Now, some of you don't because you're not old.
1: (laughs) You
0: know, the first thing, you know, you remember when we all had to walk in a straight line, all lined up, no pushing or anything. We had a teacher in front of the line, everybody followed. You remember that? What were we teaching? personal discipline. Do you know the reason why that we have a hard time even in the house of God to get people to act right sometimes? Because, see, you never went down the same path that I went down. (laughs) true. Come on. And, see, when I was a kid, there was a a few things that, I mean, these were just cardinal rules that helped you know, we never came, we worked in the fields a lot, but you never came to the table with dirty fingernails. Never. Well, it was more involved in, in getting germs. You know, we had a wash pan on the back porch and a bucket of water, and when we finished the wash, we just threw it out in the backyard. We didn't have running plumbing or anything, you know, running water. The only running water we had was Johnny Run, get a bucket of water. <laughs> and there was a water soap there, and you had to wash your hands. Another thing you had to do if you came to our table, you had to comb your hair. Now, not the girls, but if you—I mean, if you had to wash your face and you had to comb your hair. We had a little mirror, no bigger than this, and it had a hole in it. There was a nail out on the porch on the back, and we slid that hole over that nail, and you went up there. I mean, you—you you combed your hair. You didn't sit at Mama's table without combing your hair. Another thing, you never went in our house or any public place, the men I'm talking about, with a hat on. Never. Good. Good. You show respect yeah. to that house and the leadership of that house by the removal of your hat. Now where do you think that came from? Any difference where you went. If you went in your own house, you show respect for the thing you built with your own hands. Or if you went in the government house, you show respect to the people who own and built the place by removing your hat. You had to do it. If you didn't do it, you didn't go in. And if you went into the courthouse or something, you were a man, you had a hat on. Somebody walk up behind you, and this is not southern etiquette or manners, I'm just talking about personal debt. Somebody walk up and say, sir, you have your hat on. Because sometimes people would forget. Now, for this reason, I have the hardest time with people who wear hats. Men. And they'll come in here and they got those hats down. I want to say, pull up your hat or get out of here. You, know, you follow what I'm saying? I want to be nice about all this, But at the same time, I think that this is very important. And now what happens? People come in. Another thing, let me throw this in. Another thing, you never appeared at the table or any public place or you never talked to anyone who was one year older than yourself when you were chewing gum. If I was chewing gum, my mother would not let me talk to her. She said, take that gum out of your mouth when you talk to me. Don't come in here so catty like a cow chewing a good.
1: <laughs> Mom?
0: <laughs> what do you think she was teaching me? She was teaching me a vital function of life that will have a bearing on my relationship with my God. Hallelujah. And you know, we, we have a problem. We got a pop machine. We get people to get pops and bring in here. And we tell the ushers, and the usher comes and But they got mad. I can't feature anyone coming and sitting down in church with a pop can. My landslide's a lot. Don't you have some better growing up than that? Mm-hmm. lady even told me. She said, yeah, but you can't understand. She said, I grew up in a chicken van. My mom and dad, I said, it
1: shows. (laughs) But we're going to help
0: you. Why? Because, you see, this has a bearing on your relationship with God. If you remove personal discipline from your own life, do you not feel that it will have a horrible effect on your relationship with your God? You know, the first thing I do when I come to the building, I start looking for candy wrappers. Because some of our kids, listen, if, you, if your kids carry candy around their pocket, and I do, you know where I put my candy wrappers? I get yeah. in my pocket. Now, I have these up here. I'll put one of these in my mouth when the song service is going on because I've had a problem with allergies. And I try to do this so nobody will know what's in my mouth. There have been a few times which I had to come up here and I swallowed them. <laughs> but personal discipline now, I think you understand what we're talking about you know and here's something that let me, let me show you how this how this works You know, I, I just talked to a young man of our congregation over at a ball game now the thing about it is I called his mother aside and talked with his mother and told his mother I was going to say this and I said now nobody's going to know who we're talking about and I don't want you to be offended but I do need your permission she said by all means do this see this young man he was in a hurry he went right by his mother his mother said come here he called his name he didn't even act like he heard her. And he walked on up, Come here! And called the name again. He didn't act like he heard her. And then he started up in the bleachers and she called the latter three times. Guess what he did? He went on up there, plopped himself down with team. Big bad John, heard this. I get right up off of my duck. I walk over there and I said, Come here he came down he said yeah puzzled like he didn't know he'd done anything wrong I said you don't know what you've done wrong he said no I said your mother called you three times and I happen to know that you heard now he didn't say this but let me tell you the attitude of a lot of kids they said so I said now do you want to have a good day today (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> not going to hurt my day, either. you know. You want to have a good day today? Yes, sir. I said, You go over there and you sit down to your mom. You tell your mom you're sorry and ask her what she wanted of you. Why do you want to run and sit down? And You may say, That's no big deal. You don't think it is? You see, after a while, see the the problem with each individual... I have it in me and you have it in you. This business of control. We want to control the world. Everybody fighting for their their own rights.
1: Now, you, you can say whatever you want
0: to. You may accuse me of being judgmental if you want to. Well, just go ahead. But let me tell you something. I can go to some of these basketball games. I can see how the kids are dressed and pretty much figure out their attitude before they are open them mouth. And I can hear their conversation that they have with each other and tell you how they're going to conduct themselves when they're playing on the court. Now you may say, Brother Grant, you can. I'll guarantee you I can. Why? Because it doesn't take you but just a split of a second to determine how much respect they have. If you go up and say, now the rules stay. Do you know what they're going to say automatically? I don't care. And occasionally, you know, the referee has to pull out the rule book to show maybe some nasty coach the rules. I don't care. And then you check with your pastor and you find out, boy, they're having a real struggle in for God. You know, I have done everything. I've tried to scare these young people. I preach on hell. It doesn't do a thing. You can't scare people into getting saved. Uh-uh. Well, I've got to summarize this. I've got two other categories I've got to talk about. What well, we we'll just finish tonight? How about? Sounds okay. great. Okay, you want to do that? Yes. Everybody's going to be here now. Yes. I mean, this, Let me tell you something. This is extremely important. Yes. Because if there is not personal discipline... There will be no fear of God. It's connected in the Scripture for a reason. And we'll finish it tonight. God bless you. Would you stand? Brother John MacDonald's going to come and he's going to sing this song get you in a spiritual frame of mind. And I'm going to give an altar call. Brother McDonald's in the classroom. I think, is he teaching anything? You know what? We just may have to end on this, this... Uninspired, no dear. That's good. That's fair to fame. Woo! Hallelujah. Now listen, I love all of you enough that I am willing to jeopardize you getting a little upset at me if I know I'm going to help you a little bit. Right. Listen to me.
1: Right. Thank you. Thank you. Yes.